What's the first thing that comes to mind when I say breastfeeding? Let me guess. Was it, ouch, that's painful, or, oh God, I am not doing that. That hurts too much. Well, I have a newsflash for you. Breastfeeding shouldn't be painful. There, I said it. And today's guest is here to bust that myth and tell you that breastfeeding actually shouldn't hurt, especially after the first few days. Jada Shapiro is a maternal health expert, doula, lactation counselor, and the founder of Boober, where expectant parents and new families find classes and on-demand expert care providers starting from pregnancy all the way through postpartum. Jada discovered that there was a severe lack of support for women who decided to nurse their babies and decided to change that. By the end of this episode, you'll know the most common failure points when it comes to nursing and how by knowing these failure points, we can actually set ourselves up for success. We also talk about the best food to increase milk production, and we even discuss tongue tie. That seems to be a hot topic these days. You are listening to the Mamas in Training podcast, giving aspiring and expecting moms guidance and community from moms who have been there. I'm Jessica Lorian, a mama in training myself. An autoimmune disease has delayed my journey into motherhood, so I've decided to learn right alongside you as we listen and learn from expert mamas about what they wish they had known. So without further ado, here is Jada Shapiro. The importance of the early days of lactation or breastfeeding or body feeding or nursing, and I'll use a lot of different terms to include everybody. The early days of nursing are are really critical. You're in the milk building phase. And the way breast milk production works is that when the baby removes the milk from your body, it signals to your brain to make more milk. And so an empty breast makes more milk and a full breast makes less milk. If people aren't able to nurse their baby frequently enough, then they will tend to not make enough milk. And the reason they might not put the baby to their breast or chest frequently enough is because it might be hurting them because the baby's not latching in an ideal way. And so the first few days are really the signal to your body, like, hey, I I was born, I'm starting to suckle. We do, you know, part of it is hormonal when the placenta comes out, actually your estrogen and progesterone levels drop and that allows your prolactin and oxytocin levels, but especially the prolactin, which is the milk making hormone to really, really rise. And so some of it is hormonal just by that happening, but then the baby suckling and removing the milk from us is part of what really increases and makes that long-term production that we're going to see. And so if it's hurting you to nurse your baby, if you're body feeding or breastfeeding and the baby's latching on and you're going, ow, and you're in pain, but you're supposed to nurse your baby eight to 15 times a day. That's about how much they need to stimulate you to get the right amount of milk for themselves it can't work. Like you cannot be in pain doing this that many times a day. It's not like contractions that are finite that are a minute long, maybe, and that result in the birth of a baby. And it's this like finite period of time. This is eight to 15 times a day for, you know, potentially six months exclusively. So it's really hard for people to meet their lactation goals when they're in pain. And when they're in pain, the baby's usually not latching well enough. And when they're not latching well, they're not stimulating enough of the breast or chest tissue to allow the right amount of milk to be made. So those early days are really critical. And if you're in pain and the baby can't nurse, you also have to keep your baby alive. That's the number one thing, you know? And so you'll do anything. Nursing your baby should not hurt. We like to say that 
<laughs> pain is common, but it's not normal. It should not be expected. And we have a tendency to hear that breastfeeding is really you know, painful. And then we're like, okay, so I guess that's normal. So then they don't call anybody because they think that's normal, but then it's too painful yeah. and they just give up. Even though everyone talks about how painful it is, you don't have to live in that pain over and over and over, day in and day out. Yeah. In fact, like using pain or discomfort, that's a real guide for us to reach out for help. I would say when, when somebody's in pain or discomfort while they're nursing their baby, use that as your signal to get a lactation consultant, you know, to find professional lactation support, because most people actually don't need lactation support. I would like to say that the grand majority yeah. of people would not need a lactation consultant. You know, I'd like to see Boober out of business because if everybody <laughs> around you, <laughs> I mean, really, like if the hospitals set themselves up differently and everybody was highly trained in lactation who was delivering yeah. a baby as they should be, it's not actually rocket science. It's very simple, but it's confusing yeah. to people if they never did it before. And because it's not very public in our exactly. society, you know, I cannot blame people for not having that, that knowledge. Use the pain as a guide. Don't, don't sit there and go like, oh my God, this hurts so much more than I thought and not do it. You know, try, try to get help if you want to keep nursing. Now in planning and preparing for motherhood, if we have that opportunity to do that, there are many decisions that we can make and there are many decisions that we have to make, but we have to want to breastfeed right? Because many people will tell you that you have to do certain things in motherhood and that you have to breastfeed or you have to pump or whatever it is. But if you're going into it with that mindset, you're not going to be successful, right? Yeah. I mean, it is it is today a, a choice, right? There, there are other options. I think if we can make informed choices and understand why we're making those choices, and certainly you're going to see the Academy of Pediatrics and every other kind of board regulating lactation and babies is going to recommend breastfeeding or body feeding as the healthiest, you know, choice. And we have to recognize that when they're talking about healthiest choices, we are talking from a public health perspective. You're going to see lowered incidences of breast cancer and ovarian cancer in the lactating parent. You're going to see significantly reduced illness in general, gastrointestinal issues, and other long-term health issues and certain cancers, you know, in, in babies who are, are breastfed. And so the overall recommendation is, is going to be that breast milk is, is the healthiest milk for babies. But that, again, from public health perspective, then we need to look into the parent individual health perspective. And we need to recognize that nurturing, taking care of a baby and feeding them with love, however you feed them, holding them and being present for them and educating them and caring for them also is really, really important. And if the parent, you know, if the mom or the, the lactating parent is having many other issues that can arise from whatever's going on, they may not have chosen to, to nurse their baby. Maybe there was sexual trauma that happened and mm. to actually have to feed their babies from their, from their breast or chest would actually cause such trauma and reigniting that trauma that they wouldn't be able to parent in the way that they need to be parent mm. and present. Right. So, um, it can sometimes be the healthiest choice not to breastfeed for many reasons, right? So there may be other issues. There may be medications that they're taking. There may be a simple, like, I don't want to do this. And in this day and age, we have alternatives. There are mm -hmm. alternatives to feed your baby. You know, there's donor breast milk and there's formula. And you can feed your baby and nurture your baby and care for your baby and love your baby. And so, yes, it is, it is important to make the choice. But it's also it's an interesting question around choice because our hospital system is not set up to 
nurture or encourage when you birth that you you might that a baby might just latch on. We don't always have a choice because people sometimes want to breastfeed their baby, but actually somebody came into their hospital room assuming maybe they're a person of color and they made an assumption that people of color don't breastfeed. That is something that you'll hear a lot, the systemic racism in the hospital actively mm-hmm. affecting whether or not people get to make a choice even because the like, you know, somebody came in and just told them that they need to use formula and they pushed that. So there's like a real interesting interplay of like what what is a true real choice you know why are they routinely taking a baby off of the chest which discourages nursing so even though i chose to breastfeed now you're taking a baby away and sending the baby to another room and maybe giving a bottle without my consent which actually affects whether i'll be able to nurse my baby or not so it gets very Mm -hmm. complicated when we start discussing all of it all of it and i think that's part of the education. So I think for people who haven't had a baby yet, learning about why you might want to nurse your baby, learning about that in almost all other cultures, actually, where there's a lot of support and where birth <laughs> is different and people don't have the same problems and issues with breastfeeding exactly. that, that we do. We have so many problems and hardships with it. And a lot of another thing is like, we don't have federal, you know, parental leave in this country. And we know mm-hmm. that we just saw that get dropped again. And so there are many people in our society who have to go back to work at six weeks post, you know, postpartum. And they are like, I am not going to nurse my baby, even though I would have had I been able to sit at home with my baby. Yeah. But you're telling me to start this process and then I have to go to work and be gone stop all day right. and stop it. So many people, are, you know, might prefer to not. So if we have the opportunity to make that decision that we do want to try at least our best effort to breastfeed, there are certain things that we can do to set ourselves up for success. And recognizing what the common failure points could potentially be. One of the reasons why I'd say one of my favorite classes to teach ahead of time is Lactation 101, you know, really Mm -hmm. helping people understand. And so I would always recommend for people who are thinking about having a baby or really want to nurse their babies to take a lactation class prenatally, you know, and not because a lot of people are like, why should I take that? I'm just going to nurse a doll. What's the point? And I would argue the point of a prenatal lactation class is to really learn how the fundamentals of breast milk production work so that you're set up for understanding that and to really learn what are the signs that you do need help and it's not going well. When you understand those signs, then you can know to reach out for help and and fix it. I always encourage people to talk to their midwife or doctor when they're pregnant and say, I want to breastfeed or I want to body feed or whatever term you use. I want to nurse my baby. How are you going to help me achieve that after Mm. the birth? (laughs) What are the practices in the hospital or the birth center that are taken to help make sure that I can nurse my baby? to the best of my ability, right? So I ask that. And then I say, if they don't really have a good answer, specifically, can I keep my baby in skin-to-skin contact if everything's fine with my baby? Do you take babies off of chest typically? If you do, I would like to avoid that unless there's a medical condition, right? So we're always, I'm always educating parents to say, like, if everything's fine with my baby, I would prefer to keep my baby in skin-to-skin contact until after lactation has been initiated. And on average, that's around an hour, 25 minutes to an hour, where we wanna just work on that early nursing. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends delaying all newborn procedures. That's already, it's been a recommendation for quite a long time, but it's still not the norm if you don't know to ask that. 
So delaying newborn procedures means not taking the baby off your chest, waiting on weighing the baby. Hold off on that. There's no reason to know the weight of the baby. They're only going to get a little teeny tiny bit of your super amazing liquid gold colostrum full of antibodies, but it's so so teeny tiny, it's not going to change the weight enough that it matters. If you have a cesarean birth, thinking about that ahead of time, knowing that we have a pretty high C-section rate in this country and understanding that that may become a possibility, ask them, do you practice the gentle cesarean or the family-centered cesarean? Learn about that and ask if everything's fine with my baby, can I nurse my baby while I'm being stitched up? Is that a possibility? Is there somebody on the floor who can help me with that? And in many places, they're going to freak out and be like, what are you talking about? But the more we educate, we know this is being done in many hospitals and it's possible. The other big thing is really understanding that because more milk out is more milk made and because you need to be stimulated, your breast or chest needs to be stimulated a certain amount per day to increase the milk supply. If you are separated from your baby, let's say there's a clinical situation or with you or the baby and there's separation, you need to tell your body that the baby was born and suckling. And because the baby's not suckling, this is where pumping becomes really important. Mm. But you don't need to pump if everything's fine. There's absolutely no reason to pump if everything's fine. But there's every reason to pump if the baby's not with you so that you can tell your baby, you know, right, you're telling your body okay, milk is going out. Plus you're taking that milk. Somebody's taking that milk to the baby to give that critical milk to the baby. But more importantly is that your body is producing and getting that signaling. And so that's something that we can be really cognizant of. If I'm separated, okay, I'm stimulating myself. I'm hand expressing or I'm using a pump to get the milk out at this time. So that's really important. And then the, the biggest thing also, I think, I think one of the biggest things when you have a new baby is to realize that babies feed very frequently and mm. they're not feeding frequently because you don't have enough milk. Yes. They're feeding frequently because their tummy is teeny tiny, mm-hmm. the size of a marble. They're feeding frequently because they can't keep much in there. They have to keep replenishing it. It also happens to be that if they keep extracting milk from you, of course, you're going to make more milk, right? And so they're setting you up to build the amount of supply and to bring in the full flowing breast milk, which doesn't typically for most first time parents come until around day three. Mm -hmm. So the other big thing is that people think they're supposed to have this flowy milk stuff coming out of their body. And they're like, oh my God, I don't have any milk. It's not enough. Yeah. It's not enough. And so parents believing they don't have enough is one of the quickest ways that we start to undermine ourselves because we freak out. We're like, I don't have enough. Maybe I should give a bottle. And if you give a bottle very early on, then that's fine as long as you stimulate your breasts and pull milk out of them. But if nobody told you to, and you're like, I'm just nervous, I'll give a bottle, then the baby's not suckling at you. And if they're not suckling at you, they're not bringing out more milk. And so anytime we are giving a bottle, we also do need to be extracting milk from ourselves manually or with a pump. And so Yeah, I think just if people understood that the first few days, it is very normal for a baby to feed sometimes 14 or 15 times per day, literally every hour to an hour and a half can be perfectly normal. And it's not that you're starving your baby. Yeah, it's that they are being a normal baby, and they're feeding really Mm -hmm. frequently. And they are telling you to build milk supply so that by the time your breast milk, you know, does come in around day three or so, you're going to start to see it space out. They'll be able to, their stomach grows a little bit. They'll be able to hold more. And then it will get to be more like every two to three hours or more like eight to 10 or so times a day. 
I can see how that doubt can start to creep in and can actually make you think you have a problem when you really don't have a problem at all. Everything's going perfectly well, but you're jumping to that conclusion. Totally. 100%. So it's about avoiding that, that doubt and and trusting the process because you learned about it ahead of time. Can I get clarification on something with skin to skin? So the baby's just born, whether it's C-section or whether it's natural birth, are you saying directly onto you immediately? Are you saying like not even getting wrapped up, nothing, just like literally right onto your skin? Yeah, skin to skin refers to baby comes out, gets placed directly on either, it depends, the abdomen or the chest, depending on how long the umbilical cord is, depending if it's a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth. In a cesarean birth, they are going to need to bring the baby around to the chest when possible. So there will be a little moment of delay because there's a separation between the sterile field below the curtain where they're doing the operation yeah. and your chest. In a vaginal birth, it'll just be baby plopped right onto the abdomen or belly. And then they wipe the baby down. So it doesn't mean don't do anything necessarily. They can wipe the baby down so the baby doesn't get too cold. And then they will often put a blanket right over the baby. Now your skin to skin contact is creating the perfect, it's the perfect warmer for a baby, mm-hmm. perfect baby warmer. So our chests even as birthing parents are like, so I've heard, I've learned this one to two degrees warmer actually than the average chest and that they oh, also wow. regulate temperature. So if the baby gets too warm, our chest gets lower you get a little oh, higher. It's, it sounds it's just super fascinating. Yeah. So historically, when babies are born, they've always gone direct into skin to skin contact. And that's they keep warm. And then they also do this thing called the breast crawl, for which we've called now the breast crawl that all mammals do. And I don't think anybody's surprised when they see a puppy or a kitty move toward the nipple or a little piglet or whatever. They all all mammals do it and all babies do it too, provided we're just laying there and the baby is on the chest, they will literally crawl to the breast. Mm. And, you know, that's something that we see all the time in birth center and home births and only sometime in the hospital because you have to really leave the person alone. You have to not be focused on fixing the room and finishing every last thing, right? You have to just allow the process to unfold. So, you know, but I'm I'm a very practical person. I've worked in New York City hospitals for, <laughs> you know, almost 20 years. And I know that not all of our parents have the luxury of just sitting there and getting a baby plopped on them and having nobody bother them. That's just not how it works. So for people who really want an undisturbed experience, you must consider, you know, home birth, birth center birth is more likely to provide that. And if you're choosing a hospital birth, then you really do want to have a great talk with your care providers ahead of time. Have many talks mm-hmm. with them. Because it's absolutely doable in the hospital, and I've seen it many times. We can keep the baby on the chest if they're fine, and we can wait. We can be patient and allow that. It's a good thing to remember, too, that if we do have the support of a doula or whoever's our birthing partner, that they can be the one to remind the staff there that this is what we would like to happen because maybe as the the birthing parent, you might not be able at the moment to communicate that desire (laughs) with everything going on. Exactly. And that's where, you know, we call them birth preferences at Boober, the birth preferences sheet rather than the birth plan, but that you've really taken the time when you're pregnant to think about it. What are your preferences? And then you've actually made an appointment separate or taken part of your doctor or midwife appointment to talk about those preferences way before the birth. Mm -hmm. because it's really hard to communicate that stuff in the birth. And you may have a different doctor or midwife at that time. You may have nurses you've never met before. So having it printed is a way where you can be like, start the conversation a little bit more easily. Having a doula can really help you with that conversation as well, because we'll prompt it, we'll remind you. So if that baby gets placed on our chest 
and ideally we get that time alone, <laughs> what time frame are we looking at before the baby actually does try to feed and we do try to start that nursing journey? On average, most babies will initiate nursing at around 25 minutes. So they'll start smacking their lips, their speech, their little bodies around, they'll stick their tongue out, they'll open their mouth wide, they'll start to do these things that signal, you know, they'll move, they'll, they'll make their fists get tighter and more mm. like, you know, from a floppy hand to a, a tighter fist as they get hungrier. So you start to get mm. all of these signs. Now, some babies come out and they're ravenous. I've definitely had babies like latch right on within five minutes. They come <laughs> out and they're just like, no, 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 where, where is it? <laughs> so, you know, and other babies, depending on how much medication the parent has taken, which doesn't always influence it, but sometimes there can be uh, a little bit of like a baby needing to kind of clear that. Some babies take up to an hour. Occasionally a baby can be more like an hour or two, but it's it's pretty rare. Most mm. babies within 25 minutes or so, they're going to really start that, that initiation process. And, you know, and again, not all parents get this big, long time to just let that baby sit there. So you can always just bring the baby near your nipple, let, let the baby lick and smell the nipple. Don't force the baby to latch on until they're ready. You know, it's mm. like, you don't want to eat when you're not hungry. It's, exactly. It's, it's not a fun experience, but get them nearby, let them kind of smell things, and mm. then they may start to get more excited and interested. One thing I thought was really interesting, especially if we have the luxury to plan and prepare, was foods. And foods, when we just give birth, we're, if we're in a hospital, unfortunately, we're probably not fed the best foods for our nursing journey. So if we have the luxury to either bring something or if we're birthing in a birthing center or birthing at home, what are some good foods that we can really prepare to have that help that milk production come in? Yeah, it's a great question. Nutrition wise, you know, one of the, the best foods is bone broth, actually. Really mm. collagen rich bone broths are great for people. That is what's commonly given to families around the world, you'll see that, especially in, in Chinese medicine. So a nice warm soup. Most cultures besides ours, which doesn't seem to care at all about food and doesn't have, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I mean, we care about some food, but like our culture, yeah. our hospital, right? But like you were saying, hospital food is not helpful yeah. or related no, to you. the jello doesn't help milk production the jello does not help milk production <laughs> such a great way to put it and i cannot believe i still see people getting like white bread and jello i'm oh, like really gosh. what what <laughs> please what are we thinking here sugar and cold food exactly. so the rest of the world believes in warming foods after birth and you'll see in almost all cultures the cross culture that you're going to see warm warm light foods and especially these broths though, that are really nourishing and mineral building and that collagen in broths does tend to really help with breast milk supply. So that's something to think about. Also, you know, fats, the, the right healthy fats are really important for your hormone stabilization and mm -hmm. production. So whether that's a, a salmon or using like coconut oils and healthy mm. olive oils and Nuts are really helpful for milk production. Like you'll see almonds and walnuts being very helpful. And then there's different kind of supplements that like brewer's yeast, a lot of people swear by. Just whole foods are really important, right? Nothing mm. super processed and sugary, but nice whole grains and those healthful fats and these warm, warm soups are all really great things to think about in the, in the early days. And even if you brought like 
soup packet that you put hot water in, I think that would be better than a jello, you know? Exactly. Better than nothing. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Hey, can we get a little bit of hot water and just add it to our, to our little bag? (laughs) Exactly. One thing I just wanted to touch on quickly was something that kind of tends to be a hot topic, but I'd love to get your opinion on it is tongue tie. Tongue tie is one of the most fraught topics in lactation today and confusing, complicated, emotional, and and challenging. So let's just talk first, what is a tongue tie? A tongue tie essentially is when the frenulum, which is the little tissue connector underneath the tongue, may be tight or short such that the tongue of the baby can't extend all the way out over the lips and it holds the tongue in such a way that the tongue doesn't have its optimal function, where normally the tongue plays a huge role in nursing. The tongue is kind of doing this wave-like motion that is compressing the breast tissue, and then that's stimulating the breast, and your brain is telling, hey, make milk, and then milk flows out. When there's a tongue tie, it can present in a variety of ways. There's different degrees of tongue tie, and ultimately what we want to look at is, is the tongue tie functionally affecting the nursing relationship. Your baby could have a tongue tie. You could maybe see it. It could be present. It's this tight, short frenulum. But maybe it doesn't affect the nursing relationship too much. So we don't necessarily have to just say, oh, because you have this present, that it automatically means that your baby needs the frenulectomy or the surgery that you spoke of, which is where a person might clip, get the tongue tie clipped so that it can release the tongue so the first question is, is, is this tongue tie actually affecting my baby's ability to nurse? At Boober, we get a ton of calls where people are experiencing the following symptoms, which are often a sign of tongue tie. Cracked bleeding nipples, shallow latching, a baby that's not getting enough, or a baby that gets enough, but they have to nurse for literally an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, every single time they nurse. And so the parent mm-hmm. feels like they're nursing constantly, constantly, constantly. Mm-hmm. So... It can present in a variety of ways. So the question is always, is the baby gaining weight well? Are they peeing and pooping? Is the person in pain? If none of those factors is present, we can maybe watch and wait and see. Now, some babies that are tongue-tied, it's possible that the mom or the lactating parent could make a real oversupply of milk. And it's still a hormonal delivery of milk in these earlier days to some degree. But at six weeks or so, when it really shifts to the the extraction mode, and this is more complicated, this is this is we're getting complicated in lactation. But at six weeks, it's possible that we'll sometimes see a drop in milk supply with a tongue-tied baby, and it starts to get down significantly. So they might need to address it then, even if they don't want to address it in the beginning. Mm. Others will never see that issue. Tongue ties can affect other things, so it is important to know that it's not just about nursing. It's about speech. It's about eating. So some tongue ties, when left untreated or dealt with, you'll have a baby who starts to eat solid foods and they're gagging a lot. They can't optimally use their tongue properly. Mm. So that baby may develop other sorts of issues or they may not be able to pronounce certain things, which may or may not be an issue if it's subtle, right? So, you know, I think one of the big issues is that a lot of people feel that tongue ties overdiagnosed right now. And, and, And maybe it is. I'm less about like questioning it, but more about going, is the parent having major problems because when they come see a lactation consultant sometimes they're having major problems like these cracked bleeding nipples they're in so much pain and the baby has an obvious looking tie but then they go to their pediatrician and somebody might say it's not really a thing it's not a problem the parent can get really stuck in the middle of knowing something's not right with their nursing 
but then having maybe a pediatrician or a professional saying, well, that tongue tie is not the thing. And then having a lactation consultant say like, well, I see a tongue tie, mm-hmm. but lactation consultants can't even technically diagnose tongue ties. It's they have to say, I suspect it. And then you have to see an ENT or a pediatric dentist who can diagnose and then mm. possibly clip or laser it. So it's very complex. Yeah. And I guess if I were to encapsulate it, I would just say, let's let's check on parents and see if the baby's functionally nursing or not. And then let's individually look at each person and, and check in with them. So I'd say the thing to learn ahead of time is if your nursing is painful, if your baby's not gaining weight, if you're nursing takes forever, if something just doesn't seem right, seeing a lactation professional who may be able to say that they do see something going on with the tongue and that it it may be appropriate to get it checked out, possibly clipped, but also body work can be amazing to support a tongue tie. Have the baby go to a a PT, a physical therapist who focuses on babies or a chiropractor or an osteopathic professional or a craniosacral. It's really amazing. So you can go Mm. to that. And sometimes it's just that the baby was in utero in such a position that their jaw is so incredibly tight. That's why they can't open. Maybe they have a small tongue tie, but that's not really the issue. It's actually that their muscles are so tight. They can't nurse well. And so they get this body work and you won't watch these babies and they just relax and release. Oh, and all of a sudden you're like, huh. And then the parent has another option where they, they could try those less invasive things first. Yeah. It's always important to get the support of the lactation consultant to make sure that you've tried all those other things first. Yes. Right. I I saw in a video you mentioned about a lactation consultant was working with a mom and she just gave the recommendation to do something to like rub some area of the baby's back or something like that. Well, if you take the heel of your palm and you press it in between the two shoulder blades and you press the baby in a little bit closer, sometimes Mm -hmm. they just tip their head back slightly and they open their mouth a little bit more. And that's like all you needed to do. So we definitely we see a ton of parents who are just not holding their baby close enough. Exactly. Right. They just did it. Yeah. And nobody around them knew to tell them yeah. that. So absolutely. First, we always just want to look at latch and check positioning and figure out like there's mm-hmm. sometimes very simple things we can do that make the latch so much better. The last thing I want to touch on is when is a good time to introduce bottle feeding? So like I've had the opportunity now as a mom in training with plenty of time to have these conversations with my husband and uh, something that we would like to try to do. I would love to try to breastfeed, but then I would love to have the support of him, whether it's sometimes overnight or during the day here and there to bottle feed and to give him that opportunity. And I think what I'm understanding is, of course, during those opportunities, I would pump to make sure that I would continue to have the breast milk being produced. But when is it safe and and you feel like it wouldn't necessarily affect your milk production to start that process of, of including a bottle? Yeah, absolutely. Most people, we recommend when everything is going well with nursing and how do you know it's going well? We say the baby is gaining weight. Well, according to your pediatrician, the baby is producing pee and poop enough. They're peeing, they're eliminating regularly. And so, you know, they're getting enough and it's not really hurting you. When those three factors are in place, that's a great time to introduce the bottle, which for most people on average is two to four weeks. So maybe you spend the first two weeks or so kind of building your nursing, figuring it out, building your milk supply, all of that. And then you're like, okay, yeah, it's not really hurting. Or if it was, we addressed that. Baby's peeing and pooping. Okay, let's introduce a bottle. And then you can pump out your you know, first bottle of milk and your husband or partner who wants to get involved with feeding the baby now can. 
And so mm-hmm. you would pump one time and that would be the milk that the baby gets fed later. And that can be a great way to start sharing the feeding duties. Yeah. Of course, if the baby's unable to nurse well, then a bottle may become appropriate earlier. But for the most part, a bottle is easier to nurse on than a breast. And if the baby mm-hmm. learns the breast first, if it, right. you know, they have to open their mouth more wide and work. If they learn that first, no big deal. But if they get too much bottle very early, a little harder to go back. We have people, of course, who can cross back over a lot. All, not all babies, this concept of nipple confusion is not absolute at all. And it's it's more just, it's about flow preference and shape. So ideally, we're nursing more in the beginning, mm-hmm. if that was our goal. Some people are like, nope, I'm starting out one and the other. Yeah. You know, you really want to set whatever your, your goals are. But it does help to hold off about, around two to four weeks. Boober grew out of my first company birthday presents, which I started in 2002. And that really grew out of, in college, actually, I randomly stumbled upon a book on a bookshelf in the library that I was drawn to because I didn't know the words. I saw this book, it was called Spiritual Midwifery, but I did not know what midwifery was at all. I never heard of that word and and literally picked it up off the shelf and mm. opened it up and it blew my mind. You know, I saw all these images of people giving birth while smiling, squatting, laughing. So I started looking at it a little bit more deeply. It's full of birth stories that are empowering, happy stories. And I was like, what? I thought birth was supposed to be awful. That's that's what I had always heard or imagined. Yeah. It was just kind of mind blowing and very foreign. And then I took a class in college called mm-hmm. the Biology, Psychology and Politics of Reproduction. And I remember it didn't talk about birth at all. And I thought that was really strange. It stopped right at the point of birth. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you need to know more about birth. Nobody you know, really knows enough. Like what's going on? And I had read that book and then I started reading more books and Mm. I had always been really interested in in women's health. And I I just couldn't believe how little knowledge we had about childbirth and how much had been lost, especially because midwifery had been the norm for for so long. And then childbirth moved into the hospital and became really, really medicalized. So that was kind of my entry point into childbirth. And then a friend of mine got pregnant actually right after college and I had just been given a camera and I was getting into photography and I asked her if I could photograph her birth. And so I got to go to a birth as a birth photographer. It was so amazing. And I was just blown away by what I saw and, you know, had started to learn from books, but had never seen it in real life. I'd only seen births in the movies and Hollywood versions and Mm -hmm. to be there and watch my friend kind of on all fours, on a birth ball, in the shower, in the tub, eating and drinking, walking around. And she had 20 people there also, by the way. So it was, it was a real gathering of family and friends and a real celebration. And it just really like changed my life to be witness, witness to that. And also to be like, oh, childbirth is different than how it's portrayed. I went to, eventually went to a doula training and became a doula and started helping friends and other people and finally took the, the plunge and rented a space at some point because I was getting enough people mm. coming into my home. A few years ago, I started noticing more. I was getting more and more calls to birthday presents with people having their babies going, I help. I, I can't find a lactation consultant. I called everybody on the list you guys gave me. Like, what's going, you know, I'm, I'm about to give up. And I was like, this is crazy. And, and you know, and in this day and age, you can get your dog walked on demand and get your hair done on demand and yeah. all of that. Why can't you get your postpartum care or your lactation needs met, like, on demand? That we're going to, people give up if they can't feed their baby. That's critical right then. Mm-hmm. So I started giving my cell phone number out on a postcard to all of my customers. and was like, text this number when you have a baby. 
and uh, text they did. They started texting <laughs> at very high, high rates. Yeah. <laughs> so Boober was formally born a few years ago, and we really started as this on-demand, in-person lactation support company where we could just get that care that you needed right away. And over the years that grew and grew, we decided to move everything from birthday presents, all of the childbirth classes and the infant CPR and the lactation prep, like every prep class I moved onto the Boober platform and became virtual. So we were able to really provide a complete solution for parents while they were kind of on their pathway from pregnancy to parenthood. So you could get your classes and get educated. You could find a birth doula there. You could have your baby find a postpartum doula or get a lactation consultant if you needed. You know, we, we added mental health therapy right at the in the early part of the pandemic because I was like, this this is what we all need more than anything. And imagine the stress we were all having as non-pregnant people. Anybody having a baby during the early pandemic was really stressed. Yeah. So we just have continued to to grow Boober through through these years and in the different twists and turns of the pandemic to provide as much support as possible to parents. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's yeah. it's a complete one-stop shop, truly. <laughs> when I was doing my research and and really trying to figure out what would be the best conversation to have with Jada because you yourself are a wealth of information. And then, of course, everything that you and your team provides at Boober is just I mean, anything and everything you can think of, it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Important to know you're not, you're not alone in this. You are growing your little human or having a new baby along with a ton of other people out there. And to remember that there is support for you. Nobody was ever meant to do this alone. And so while a lot of it is just comes to us and it's instinctive and babies do latch and suck having support and knowing your resources ahead of time so that you can reach out again. Like I created Boober to be a place where you could reach out if you need it, but I'm not telling you, you have to, nobody has to use a lactation consultant and I hope you don't need one, you know, but if you need one (laughs) to know that you could reach out and get help with within the day is, is really, I hope some level of relief. So know what your resources are around you and, and just know that parenting while, while instinctive to some degree, you're also learning. Your baby is really instinctive. And we as parents are learning day by day. And it's not like you get good at anything on the first day that you do it. You have exactly. to practice it, you know? So know that every day is going to be different and it's going to be a crazy learning cycle. And it's okay to sometimes feel like I'm not sure what I'm doing or to be confused and and just to reach out to your community, your friends, family, and and those professional support people like us who can also help kind of walk you through this gateway. Yeah. Well, I think it's so important too, you know, of course, we often think of community of being those who will be with us postpartum, those who will, you know, family and friends who will be around. But also some of those family and friends might have preconceived notions of how they did it or what they think should be done. So it really is key to have the platform like you've created on Boober to get that help and that assistance and that support immediately from professionals that are, that are there for you. And I will definitely have the link to Boober and connecting to you in the show notes. So everyone can check that out and have, have the access to that if you need it, hopefully you don't, but of course it's there for you. Um, And I'm just so grateful to have had you on to have this conversation because it is so important and there are things that we can do, even just sort of letting this information trickle in in our minds before we 
get to that postpartum new mom stage when things are a little overwhelming and hopefully it can set some some mamas in training up for success so thank you so much jada yeah thank you so much for having me it was great having this conversation and i i just love that you've built a community around like learn about it ahead of time let's get connected and let's think about it because you know, it is a hard thing to figure it all out in that moment. Exactly. <laughs> and we're still going to be, despite education, we'll still be figuring it out in 100%, that moment. All of us, yeah. 100, even if we've been in the field, we're, we're all figuring it out day by day. So I think it's great that you've created a, a community around this too. So thank Thanks you. so much. Of course. All right. Take care. As Jada mentioned, you are learning right alongside your baby and some things might come naturally, but for other parts that don't come so naturally, I encourage you to get the support you need to know that you're not alone. If you want instant and free support, join us in the Mamas in Training Facebook group, where you'll learn from mamas who've been there and mamas who are walking this path with you. All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes that says Facebook Community and get that instant support. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together. And now, a final word about one of my favorite cozy companies. Okay, I have a confession. It's safe to say that I spent 95% of the past year and a half in comfy clothes. And most days, PJs. Yeah, it's true. And you might have too. And you know, that's okay. I give you permission to always be cozy. And lucky for you, I have found the coziest clothes around from Kindred Bravely. From their PJs to their leggings, bras, shirts, and unbelievably cozy sweaters, they're perfect for this fall weather. And for always, let's be honest. Every piece of clothing I have from Kindred Bravely is made out of the most luxurious fabric I have ever felt. It's like wearing a soft cloud all day long. The best thing about Kindred Bravely's products is that the founder and CEO, a mother of two, created them with you in mind, a woman and a mom. Since I'm a mama in training, I haven't personally used their nursing bras. However, I surveyed my community of mamas and almost 100% of them recommended Kindred Bravely over another nursing bra. So if you're ready to get cozy, it's time to treat yourself. Go to kindredbravely.com and use the promo code TRAINING20 to get 20% off. That's K-I-N-D-R-E-D-B-R-A-V-E-L-Y.com and use the code TRAINING20. The link is in the show notes. Here's to getting cozy. If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at mamasintraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together. <laughs>